Don't be afraid of being something more. It improves posture. You're searching to be more, you're searching to learn more, and you're searching to do more. It's a call to action. It's a call for ownership. A means to really live, whatever that means to you. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to episode six. Um, if you are eager to jump to the Q&A that we're going to do today, just go ahead and use those timestamps below and jump forward. But we're going to kick it off, as we do every week, with a radar. And we're going to start with James Fitzgerald. So we're not going to talk about our shirts. We have to talk about our shirts. Okay. But the people that are on audio are totally missing out because they oh, can't see yes. our shirts. Can't see our fashion. Yes. Our stylish fashion. fashion. We're over here living large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we got the Live a Larger Life merch do on we, today. Do we have merch connected to this show below the links or somewhat? We don't Can yet, but we will in the near future, right? Like these were a limited pre-sale uh, that, we, that we did, but I think we should probably do a run too of some Live a Larger Life merch. Yeah, there's people watching this right now that are wearing the same shirts that we're wearing. <laughs> yeah. That's meta. I know, right? Yeah. We're also going against <coughs> what we said we can't do, which is talk about a future or thing past. outside of the current. It's okay. Uh, well, it but natural. we are wearing these shirts right now. Yeah. <laughs> You're confusing me. What are you looking <laughs> at this week, James? Uh, my radar, well, I always kick our radar off with our All-American. Uh, the All-American this week, again, I'm biased, is my wife, uh, Leanne Fitzgerald, Leanne Michelle Fitzgerald, LMF. It was her um, birthday, too, recently. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kicking it. Um, yeah, no, she gets the All-American war because she's experiencing all the pains and tribulations from being an autonomous free mover she is uh learning how to uh write her own programs and she always has learned how to write her own programs but it's been a um it's been a process to kind of get her to the point where she's knows what she has available and what she's doing and anyways carl got to be a part of uh seeing some of the <laughs> some of the some of the stuff's inside that but yeah uh, she gets that award um what I'm reading right now is uh, uh, why motivation doesn't work. Um, yeah, it's a 2014-2015 book connecting to psychological needs and self-regulation and the newest research on motivation techniques. And uh, it was just on my bookshelf for a number of years. I haven't touched it, so I wanted to dig into that. Uh, I just started that, uh, so probably more to you know bring into this conversation over time, especially within that psychological realm in regards to... Uh, how we teach individuals, right, and what the motivations are on behalf of those people. Uh, but I also finished uh, in in two days. I finally got uh, John McWhorter's uh, "Woke Racism" completed. Um, gosh, I wasn't prepared for this because I just immediately think about just how impactful his words are. He he is a master of words as well. Uh, but the way he went about. Um, explaining what he sees happening today in regards to um, what he calls a particular group of individuals. He classified a particular number of group of individuals, calling them the elect uh, that have this particular ideology around how we should see racism today. And, um, and he digs into all the really, really uncomfortable areas uh, based upon that. He gives a pretty strong argument for the concept of the list if anyone was to agree what is the definition of a religion uh, he gives a pretty darn good argument as to why this particular concept has turned into a religion um, and he goes about that in only 150 pages but 
it's well worth a, a read. I've listened to John for a number of years. Um, not that because I, I know him at a first name basis, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you know, and just coming around to it, um, it was another learning inside there for me in terms of the stuff that goes on in my head as to what I see going on. And I try to put some classification and naming to things. And I've always heard him talk about it, but then you read it. And when you read it on text, my whole learning in there for anyone to take from it is that you think you're learning, right? Just by what you come up with in your mind. And you think you're learning just by what you hear. But until you're patient in reading it through and thoroughly, it doesn't really deeply stick until you get all those trifectas basically together, maybe. So anyways, good learning on that. And uh, last, but I know this could be lengthy, I, I just find it interesting in terms of the perception around this newest uh, bill that California just passed. Um, uh, the bill is called uh, Bill Number 107. And, um, you know, if you were only to, to listen to, you know, uh, a morning update in regards to the bills that were passed, uh, depending upon who is speaking about it, uh, mainly it's coming from a conservative or more right-leaning audience of it. And there's good reasons why they're so alarmed based upon that. And so I did some digging into what is exactly inside the bill. And of course, just what you're going to hear on the reports is that, oh, California is going to shit. They're allowing, you know, this is the words that they were saying, they're going to allow a child to speak quietly to whoever they want in their school based upon uh, what sex they want to be described as or become. And then this, this information is going to now legally be allowed to be held from parents and the public uh, based upon what that means for the, what, what the language is inside of this conversation, gender-affirming care. So I got two major points based upon that. Uh, number one, no one is really, I think, correct in the wordplay and the word salad garbage that goes on in how, what we're calling it. You know, so the public is now calling it gender-affirming care. So first, anyone who's listening, you have to take a pause and to go back to the historical, you know, context of that word and then dig into exactly what people mean when they say that. And then you'll come up with your own conclusions on how sick it is and disgusting that they've changed the naming of it based upon what is really inside of what do you actually mean by gender-affirming care, okay? Secondly, I find it also really appalling, actually, that all that gets reported is a 30-second blip on how much bullshit is going on over there, and then you actually look inside the words of the bill, and there's a lot of, you know, inconspicuous things that you could see if you only read one paragraph. You could understand why people are like, look, 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 this, they're, they're going to kill all these kids or they're allowing them to do all these things. There's so many, like, workarounds in regards to you know, other states being involved in those actions, what they're allowed to do in regards to, you know, privacy in terms of what is privacy for that young child relative to what they're allowed to partake in. Anyways, I'm not, I'm not saying that that is an out for, for that particular bill that's taking place, but do your reading. Read a whole lot more into it. Because um, I just thought to myself, I'm not sure if you guys ever thought, you hear something like that and you're like, oh man, you know, they're going to shit over there. Like, how can they allow those things to take place in that? Right? And you're like, it must be, you know, uh, and I just say to myself, gosh, I know so many Californian families or Californians with young children. And I just keep thinking to myself, why aren't they like freaking out over this? And you know why is because you're me, I, or a lot of people are not doing enough reading in terms of what is actually inside of the proposed bills. 
right? So I think if you go further and further to see what's inside the proposed bills, even outside of that shitty fact in terms of the language around gender-affirming care and, and care for a young child, um, it's not as nefarious or, or inconspicuous as a lot of people seem. Um, and anyways, I just... That's on my radar to kind of follow and track and see what's up. I did hear something yeah. <clears throat> this week about uh, Planned Parenthood now offering uh, puberty blockers to youth. And, and that seemed to be the buzz that I caught mm-hmm. probably in connection to this bill. Did you hear Pro- about this? Uh, I, did, I did indirectly, and I don't know if it's particularly connected to this just state bill because it's a state bill, mm-hmm. uh, SB 107, I think it's called, for California. And um, that would be another particular, you know, thing that, uh, I can't really offer any, any opinions to without uh, looking more at it. Like, it's even, it, let's, just, let's just theoretical, or, you know, let's just, let's theoretical think about that statement, right? So, uh, all my point, my point is for people listening in is that even with that statement, that doesn't mean that that is actually what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to do more work, yeah. right? You can't just, I'm not saying this to you. It's the headline. People, yeah. you can't just read the headline, right? And you can't just take what is being said there based upon that. And listen, if there's anyone out there who's super sensitive to being a contrarian around those kind of things, I have that ilk. Like, I, I am of that ilk to, like, just rip the whole fucking thing apart, honestly. Um, but I've learned over time that those particular things are sent to us as messages because they're going to rise a political opinion. Yeah, there's right? a he- They need to push you in a certain, you know, thing around that. And it's always, especially in America, it's always largely due to the time of the year yeah. and the time of the politics, et cetera. Um, now, of course, this is notwithstanding that there could be, and I actually do know, that there are some nefarious background shit that's happening there in that particular situation of that particular group. But uh, I can't opine on how that's going to be affected for the truth inside of it. You know? Yeah, the headline says nothing about what <coughs> questions are being asked, what is the protocol to getting to that stage prior to uh, someone actually being given puberty blockers. Like mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. I haven't done any research on that topic specifically, but mm-hmm. certainly interested to dig in. And then on the California issue, I'm not super familiar. I've, I've seen the headlines. I'm not super familiar with what the uh, bill actually says, but like the first thing that comes to mind to me is like if I was a child and I went to a counselor and I, um, you know, maybe I was gay and I told them that I was gay, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want them to go and report that to my parents Mm -hmm. if for some reason I was coming from a household where it's not safe for me to say Mm -hmm. that. And the same thing goes uh, with gender. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the uh, immediately heading to the inflammatory side of things is just not helpful. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand with the deepest form of empathy, me personally, with the side that wants to push against this revolt, like towards children, I have massive empathy to that. And I also have, I have, I will give all of them full support to go after that particular group because there's still no violence involved. But to your point, you have to take it from a lens of a child as well as who are the big people that are around in their lives that, that need to offer some form of support. Right. And I think that's that's the lens that we seem to forget. Right. And we're we're also very uh, unforgiving of the system that we set these children up into. We put them into a digital world where we have been the purveyors and the builders and the money makers inside of this system that allows them to have a different reality as to what is real. Right. So take some fucking onus on yourself to say, well, what do you plan to do about then the messaging and the concept, right? I also think about myself just saying like, okay, if you're 45, right, and you have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, 
just take this simple question and say, what is the cognitive repertoires and the actual health and wellness and strong-minded 45-year-olds that are out there? Just think hard about that. that. So I'm not saying any slight in terms of percentages. You have to come up with what your own decision is for that. But there's not a, there's not a, sh everyone thinks there's a shit ton of 45 year old adults out there that are like really enlightened in regards to like decision making for children, right? There's not, sorry, that's, that's a reality, right? And it doesn't mean that, you know, they can't change and they can't learn, but we seem to forget, we just, we're just like, oh, it must be only 2% of the audience out there that uh, have children that are going through these struggles and these adults really know, right? Because there's always this like, where are the parents involved? It's like you're making the first mistake. Number one, you're forgetting tech runs the whole thing. And then number two, there's not a lot of adults out there with a big brain. Ooh, what a radar you. start. Sorry yeah, about I that. I mean, I'm not even ready to dig into mine. I, I loved yours though. Can Thank I say one thing yeah. before you go? Yeah, um, yeah I, think we're, I think we're fairly well versed on that. Like just think, think of the way that uh, we have these conversations uh, in, in this initial piece. Uh, we always talk about headline pieces, right? Where it's like, hey, this is what the headline says. But after doing a little bit of investigation and digging in a little bit deeper, this is what, I think we talked about it last week or maybe it was the week prior. Um, this is what optimal means here. This is what good means there. This is what that means, right? So it's like, I think that's ingrained in our heads to like dig a little bit deeper. I think most people probably heard that this morning and they're like, oh, making their coffee, like damn Californians. And yeah. they, didn't, they didn't do the thing that you did, right? Um, so I guess I say that just to say like it should be like natural, right? It, it should be natural. It's not, but it should be natural when you hear something that's triggering or you hear something that you feel really strong, strongly about one way or the other. Um, if you feel so strong about that, you should actually understand what it is and what it means. And I know you did that Good there. Point. I know you did that there, but um, that's, that's our responsibility to, to do that instead of, and I know you didn't blame that media outlet, but instead of blaming the media outlet, where it's like, oh, you're just, you're doing that for clicks and headlines. It's like, it's actually your fault. You didn't do the investigation behind mm -hmm. it. If you were to click on the thing, they actually give you insight. Or if you were to click on the link and go read the thing, that would give you insight. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, from a personal responsibility standpoint, um, people just need to do what you did, right? Like just, yeah. just dig into the thing and, and really understand what the heck is, is, is really behind it. Yeah, oh, well, you just, you just hit on a point that I think we can add to it, or just as an expectation, uh, don't expect don't expect the media, regardless of their perspective, to give you the direction as to where you go and make your own decisions. Because I think I, you both know, you know where I got this from, mm -hmm. and they don't give you the extra information, right? Now that's a fault that they complain about from the other side as well. So it's, we have to, yeah, we gotta just like hope <laughs> that people are gonna do the extra work, right? Uh, but, the, but the reality is they're not. Why? I mean, they only got 20 seconds. Yep. And the consumer only has 20 seconds. Just tell me what, tell me what the main things are that I need to cons concern about myself today. Tell me what I need to like complain back and forth with my friends about and what this administration is doing today. Just tell me what I need to like keep going on. That's the big thing, right? Um, and and anyways, to some extent, like, we do it on the show as well. Right? Like we're going around right now and we're talking about things and we're giving we are intentionally giving our opinions and our take on these things. And we're telling people, hey, you know, the, 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 the article or the study or the thing is linked in the description. What is the percentage of people that actually follow that article, follow that link and dig in for themselves? Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that is extremely low, yep. right? So yep. even when we talk about these things on this show, uh, people's, you know, they might agree with us or they may not, but I think a, a large percentage of people are just taking 
what we're saying as truth because we did our research, quote unquote, right? Where it's like, why would I dig in? They, they've, they've already done the research, mm-hmm. but we're still so biased in the way that we say things and, and our interpretation of research and the, our interpretation of other people's words and stuff like that. So even when people listen to this show, I think they need to dig further and take advantage of, of digging into what we're actually talking about if it's interesting to them. Which yeah. is why we uh, provide the links in the description uh, yeah. below, guys. So go check yeah. those out. And, and well, also kind of why we started this piece. Like when you first brought it up, one of the big things that you said is like, it's going to make us all better. Mm-hmm. It's going to prioritize or give us all the priority of like digging a little deeper on things that we may not have in the past because we didn't have time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah well, it's our, th- it's, thir- it's our third um, part of the stool of learning, right? That's what. That's what we're here. We're just sharing information and we're hoping people can see that by us role modeling that process every day and our minds changing and growing, we're going to ask that of other people. That's outside of what we know to be true in terms of nutrition and uh, movement, which is move every day and eat real food. That's all i got to say. <laughs> I love it. Okay. My radar, I found an article um, from the Stronger by Science crew on chrononutrition, which we were just discussing as potentially a new term for what this is, but essentially it's discussing. If it's imp- not too, by the way, I, I'd like to know, I think, because yeah. I think within literature, it's a new term, sorry. Newer term. Yeah. But yeah, the focus of the article was on uh, why meal timing and feeding windows matter um, and sort of breaks down, you know, the typical myths we all hear in fitness around like, should I eat breakfast? Should I not eat breakfast? Should I eat small frequent meals throughout the day? Should I have three larger meals? Um, how important is nutrient timing or, you know, post-workout nutrition, all those kinds of things that kind of uh, attacked those first, but then really focused on uh, the importance of circadian rhythm and the natural cycles that we all experience biologically, light and dark, sleep and wake, act- activity versus rest, and then like feeding versus fasting. And, and just broke down, obviously, the research that exists, but also the lack of research that can really v- validate these things as you get even more deep into topics. But it, it ended with a couple of questions and it was just, uh, most of them I just wanted to read so that maybe we could pick a few and attack them as a team because they, I think they're quite interesting. But so the first one was, what is the optimal length of feeding versus fasting windows? Uh, which is an interesting question to think about. Um, should we, when should we eat our first meal and how much does that actually matter? Uh, and then how important is calorie distribution across the day as it relates to energy and cognitive function and things like that. So three really big questions that there's not a ton of research to answer at this point, but obviously we spend a lot of our time educating coaches uh, on topics that inf- or circadian rhythm influences, and we have certain opinions there. So I wanted to just open that up to you guys. Should I start? Sure. Oh, okay. Um, two things stick out to me. Um, the the like real truth inside of there was circadian rhythm, right? Like, you know, we, we talked about it again. We talked about it last week where it's like differences in circadian rhythm and, you know, age and, and uh, where you are in terms of your own personal biology um, and how that can adjust left or right. But circadian rhythm is, is a truth and it's something that really exists. Um, so that's like, I think we need to position everything off of that generally. So that's like the truth. And then we start talking about very specific things like when is the most op, what is the most optimal? I think you said like uh, feeding versus fasting windows or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and you know, what's the most optimal time to eat upon awakening and all of those things. There's also truths inside of there. And there's also like individual, let's just call it, um, preferences that sit there as well. Right. So, you know, if we were to go around this table and we all agreed that, you know, it's, it's optimal to have a meal within 90 minutes upon awakening and we have some really good reasons as to why we agree on that. But James says over there, he's like, 
man, but, but when I have a meal, uh, you know, within 90 minutes of, of awakening, I feel like cognitively, I'm just not there. All other things being equal, I'm not there until one o'clock for whatever reason. Um, what would we, what would we say to James, right? We're like, well, work that out, man. Like, you know, find what gives you the best cognition throughout the day in the morning. What do you have going on around that time? Is cognition really important during that time? Uh, are you speaking to others? Are you in meetings? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And, and that's when we fall into that, like, individualization and like kind of just feeling yeah feeling it out for yourself though but but not an independent it depends from a standpoint of just like it depends and then go off it's like it depends you have to test some things out and and figure out what works really well for you and uh you said cognition and that's something that uh we've spoken about a ton right where it's just like our cognition or lack of cognition tells us a lot right like the the fogginess that we feel throughout uh certain points of the day like we can't ignore those things. That's telling us something. Something's not right. We shouldn't feel that at 10 o'clock in the morning for no reason, right? So um, honoring that circadian rhythm, I think, is something that's really important in terms of like when you wake, when you sleep, uh, when you do physical activity and all of that. But from like a, a feeding standpoint, it, it really does. It really does depend. But if we were to throw out like a um, and I'm, I might actually toss this over to James because James did a good job on this and the three meals uh, piece he put together. But if we were to say, you know, when are the best times to eat, they would be, James, can you hit, hit those, uh, those three meal concepts? Yeah, uh, right upon waking or just after waking. So when, uh, you know, the post birds chirping, you're up and at them and you're cognitively you know, ready to rock and roll. And then it's probably going to be a five to six hour timeline after that and or a five or six hour buffer line after that second meal to the third meal, equally spaced out under this like archway of uh, a blending of how your enzymes and hormones and everything related to the sun activates in most humans. It's based upon those three particular particular areas. And that's what you're speaking of in terms of like truths, right? Yeah. Uh, can I continue on or are you finished? No, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because the... The, you know, first of all, with, so nutrition science, especially uh, as opposed to like fitness science is, especially in, in today's day and age, they, they always seem to be immune to uh, the truths that we have observed for a long period of time. This is why I generally take the same line of attack around nutrition or empirical nutrition, whatever it's called today, evidence-based nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. Their a priori is performance or not being fat. That's the a priori in every bit of energy from every human, every grad student, every doctor, every researcher. That's the entire energy, right? So if that's the a priori, uh, it comes back to the point I made that's a, a coach's, uh, what's it called, the coach tips that I used to do. Um, misunderstanding what vitality means leads to a misapplication of techniques to make it happen. Put nutrition in there. Misunderstanding of what nutrition means leads to a misapplication of techniques to make it happen. So you see, it takes the whole cards down. It takes the whole thing down. If you approach nutrition from an angle of what makes me most mentally acute, what allows me to live my life fully and effectively, right, to the fullest expression. When you take that angle towards, do you see how all the research becomes just Fuck. It's, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because as I said, take the steps to what you actually mean when you say that. That's a really tough proposition to these particular individuals as well as everyone who's studying it, right? Um, now, 
you could show me, sure, show me two studies out of 100 that show it's connected to living long and et cetera, and now I still got you because that's not the A priority. It's got nothing to do with mortality. Do you see my point? So I think the, your point on truth, I call them they're just natural laws, and then there's society. Again, it's this man in society and how this whole thing works together. What I love about what we talk about anyways is to honor the natural laws in which we are a part of. And we're just really sticklers on it. Meaning when you're awake, you should be eating. When you're not awake, you should not be eating. Like it's as simple as that. And then make it even more simple. Spread it out during the day. Create a whole bunch of variety. Get variety in the amino acids. Get variety in the essential fats. Get variety in the starches and fibers. Like you know, that's, that's, those are, that's why I said nutrition is immune to it. Because when you lay out those simple things, they want to come back with like 35 studies to show that you're missing out on something. But you see, we're not even talking in the same room because their priority is about performance, getting bigger muscles or lifting a heavier weight or not getting people uh, to be fat. Yeah. Pre pre and post-workout nutrition, the anabolic window, that stuff just doesn't exist in the vitality question no. of timing around it's nutrition. not even it's not even in there yeah you know and of course there's a there's a heavy burden that comes with making that statement and so that's why i always feel convicted when i say it because it's not like i haven't been there i mean i sold i sold a lot i sold ideas i sold supplements i sold a, an entire education program for a number of years based upon that particular thing right so don't don't tell me that i don't know about what you're trying to sell with that and then you step back you're like what am I actually trying to sell? And it's not knowledge. You're not. That's my whole point on you're withholding knowledge from that person. Yeah. You're taking it from them. Yeah, I love that though because it really does help simplify for our audience. For those that yeah, are I hope so. so overwhelmed by all the nuances of the, these, <clears throat> these questions that are thrown out and the, how complex people try to make it, which becomes a hurdle for people to even start yes. bringing it back to the basics of when you're awake, eat, spread it out throughout the day. When yeah. you're sleeping, don't eat. Mm-hmm. It's like, pretty simple yeah and there'll come that time where we're going to have you know consistently you know looking at research or looking at the kind of things but i want us as well as everyone to recognize what angle should you take in regards to any piece of information right you got to say to yourself well what do i find important right because if you're sitting there thinking well what i find is important is bigger biceps after six months we're all we're all okay with that at least you know that's what you find important do you know what i'm saying but i'm telling you this live a larger life defines having bigger biceps in six months as lower order. Mic drop. Love it. Thank you. All good. All right. Um, change of pace. I apologize for the change of pace here. Um, I'm going to talk about, this has been on my radar. I'm, Emma, I'm not going to say I'm going to be quick on this, but I will try. Um, so Dr. Asini Mahora, have, have you guys heard of this guy? Yes, I have now. No? Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting dude. So he's a British cardiologist. Um, very early, I'm, I'm going to talk about COVID. I know I always circle back to this, but this idea is so fascinating. How can we not? And the, the goal of this conversation, just to be really upfront and clear, the goal of this conversation is to ask at the end of it, uh, what, where should we go for our advice? That's it. Okay. So I'm not talking about this to say, like, how do you feel about COVID? How do you feel about the vaccine? That's not the point. I want to talk about what uh, Dr. Mahora has found over the past few years. And then I want to ask the question, what do we think about this? And where do we go? Uh, And where do we tell our families to go when they have these questions? So 
Dr. Mahora, uh, British cardiologist, um, very early vaccine uh, advocate. He was a part of the, uh, uh, they call them a debunker of vaccine hesitancy early on, where he was the cardiologist that was in front of the room saying, do it, do it, do it, save lives. You have to avoid this thing. Uh, don't hurt other people. And he was getting a lot of uh, emails, got, getting a lot of uh, Twitter messages and uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, communications from people saying, like, you're, you're spreading misinformation. And he's just like, what are you talking about? I'm spreading misinformation. And there was one thing that really stood out to him. And this was in early 2021. And it was from a uh, whistleblower from uh, one of the organizations that, that creates vaccines. And essentially they told him that, hey, we found something that's really interesting. Uh, we found this idea of inflammation in and around the coronary arteries with people that have taken the vaccine. And he said, great, like I'm looking forward to reading this thing. And this individual said, well, you're not going to read it anywhere. Uh, we can't put this out because if we put this out, we're going to lose a lot of money uh, from medical researchers for, for medical research that comes from the drug industry. And he was, a, he, he was in a bit of a conundrum. He's like, well, what the heck do I do? So he went on this investigation to figure this thing out for himself. So he published a couple papers. This was uh, end of September. So this was a few weeks ago that these papers were published. And when I found this, um, it was the, the morning that it was published. Uh, I read through the papers and I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is like, it's a lot of what a lot of people have already been talking about, but he just like actually exposed it in black and white. And I was like, by the time, and I knew I was going to talk about this uh, today. And in my head, I was like, by the time I talk about this on our podcast, everyone's going to know. So it's like, I'm going to say, do you know who Dr. Mahaler is? And everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, yeah, it's the dude. And not everyone knows this. This isn't spreading as quickly as I thought it would just because of some of the things that really came out here. So like I said, there was two papers that were published. Um, like we said in James's piece, go ahead and read these things for yourselves, please. But I'm just going to do a quick overview. Um, and we'll also have a, a, it's a quick like four or five minute video uh, attached as well where you can hear Dr. Mahora kind of walk through uh, paper one and paper two and kind of his conclusion that he came to. And, you know, he, he's not just like a researcher that's like, here, take this information. He's like on the trail right now and trying to figure out, like, how do we make this right? How do we fix this thing? Um, so these papers were published in the International Journal of Insulin Resistance. Paper number one uh, dug into the benefits and harms of COVID-19 mRNA vaccines focused on um, non-elderly individuals. What he found was, so he, they went through the, the analysis that was already done through trials. So they did a reanalysis of these trials and found that it was much, much, much more likely to suffer a serious adverse reaction to the vaccine than to be hospitalized from the disease, which that's been around for, you know, a year and a half, two years now, where that's just been like conversations. But when you dig in, they really talk about what does it mean uh, what, what do I mean when I say much, much, much more likely? Um, and just when you see the numbers, it's, it's fairly staggering. And when they look at the population, I, I know I said uh, non-elderly, they looked at the population 16 through 39 and looked at the advert, like the serious uh, cardiac um, adverse responses that were coming from this. And it's really, really scary stuff, specifically out of Israel. And I believe France, I could be wrong. I think it was Israel and France. Um, scary, scary, scary stuff of the amount of deaths that were that were not exposed. 
and he kind of hit on this quickly in the video, but it's not in the paper around how autopsies are not being released um, in the United States. Uh, the, the, the FDA is not allowing autopsies to be released, autopsy information to be released on some of these individuals. He also looked at in non-elderly populations, uh, number, the number of vaccines needed to treat one uh, preventable, preventable death is in the thousands. So when he looked at, and he compared quite nicely, uh, the, 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 adverse, the risk of adverse effects and looking at the one in thousands and thousands of vaccines that you would need to prevent uh, the non-elderly to be hospitalized, he just very clearly laid out like, the risk, the risk here is just too high to tell everyone to take this right now. Um, then he dug deeper into the, the 16 to 39 cohort. So that's where he really focused uh, a lot of paper one into. So I, we knew a lot of that stuff. Like it was hearsay. There was like, <laughs> there was like people that would say it early and they were like uh, debunked and all that. But I think we all we're all on the same page of like, yeah, there's something going on there. And it's just interesting to really look at the black and white and seeing what the heck is going on. Paper two, um, this one was shorter, but more interesting to me. So the goal of this paper was to get to the bottom of how authorities and medical professionals took part in unethical, coercive, and misinformed policies such as mandates and passports that undermined not the evidence that he laid out in paper one, but the evidence that they already had that they had to do a reanalysis of. So he was really clear in that. And he was really clear in that everything that they laid out was, because what I, what I thought, right, what I thought in seeing these deaths early, I was just like, it's impossible. Like, you know, how many of these people, like COVID has to be causing a lot of this, right? Like inflammation in the heart and stuff like that. Because we know that that is, that is uh, connected to people that dealt with COVID. And they actually sparsed out people that had the disease in the past. So they took out people that had COVID and they just that they just looked at the vaccinated, which I hadn't seen uh, been done yet. He laid out the, um, the idea behind paper two was um, all of this was a symptom of, of medical misinformation and you know, how, how all of it was connected to, to money and like really dug deep into the interweavings of, of Pfizer and, and all of that and how, how mandates were really rolled out and where these medical recommendations are coming from. Uh, not to pick on California again. Again, this is like more my, my thing. It's not in this paper. Not to pick on California again, but I don't know if you guys are privy to the, the bill that um, is on, on the desk of the governor right now in California that says that if you're a medical professional, uh, you can't go against government policy. So if the government recommends A, you will lose your license if you say B, C, or D. Okay, so where I'm getting at here is where do we, where do we go? Where do we go or where do we tell our loved ones to go or where do we tell our friends to go for advice on what to do? Not only around COVID. COVID's the big thing, right? But there's going to be something else where it's just like, hey, this is a big deal. This is affecting a lot of people's health. Just knowing what we know now, we can't unknow it. Um, my question that I don't have an answer to is, wh where, do we, where do we tell people to go for, for information or for medical advice? Because before we would say, you got to talk to your doctor about that stuff, right? It's like, that's outside of our lane. Like, we're not, we're not cardiologists, right? Like, I, I can't give you a really good um, answer to this, to this question. And now with kind of what we're seeing from a government standpoint and 
you know, certain states saying that, you know, now you, your doctor actually can't have an opinion on anything, uh, it has to come from the government and then, you know, going to like, okay, how does the government get their opinion? That's a whole nother rabbit hole that we won't go down right now. But, um, that was a question I kind of wanted to leave this whole thing with, but I, I recommend just all of you guys to go in there and actually read these papers because they're really, really interesting. And I'm so surprised that this isn't all over the place right now. It's challenging because you want there to be some like objective truths when it comes to health uh, and what someone should or shouldn't do that, you know, in a perfect utopian society, the government could make those recommendations based on what a team of experts have come up with, uh, the thorough data that was shared and was looked into and be able to have that top-down approach so people are getting consistent information. But because, you know, at the end of the day, every doctor is different. Every doctor has a different level of training and some consistency in training and in advice is probably a good thing, but we don't live in that reality, right? <laughs> Everything you just laid out is not uh, the reality that we live in. So my mind immediately goes to, well, there's not one place that we can get information from. I'm gonna try and seek it out from as many places as possible and then trying to come up with my own solution. And as I seek it out, try and do my best to understand the lens that each of those different sources of information around whatever this health thing is, where they're coming from. But that's not really an answer. Well, yeah. no, it is. And you should be commended for at least taking a stab at something I think is impossible. It's so complex. It's a big question. Um, but the, the, I first think about people who are honestly trying to do that, but they're all in an ecosystem in which people telling them something. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? They're all saying something that even works against their best interest and feelings, right? Because I really feel for that parent that went through all the pressures to vaccinate their children over the past couple of years. I've had lots of conversations with them. And there is, if you don't think it's deep, it's really deep and hurtful and really painful to those individuals, right? And they did do their due diligence and they asked all the questions. I was one of them that they would ask, but they did go around and do it. And they still ended up swaying a certain particular way. I think it's largely based upon, you know, this, whatever, this connection to doing what others are doing with good intentions, right? And the unfortunate thing is with our concept of government, I totally agree with you that, well, I think that's what you said. I would, I would not look to government anymore with regards to where we're gonna get our direction in terms of ad advocacy or, or et cetera, in terms of their definition of health. I think that's the worst place to look for today, which is kind of sad, because you mentioned FDA in there, and I mean, they just came out with new guidelines on what is healthy. It's, it's like we're back in the 90s again, decreasing saturated fat, decreasing sugars. It's like, it's disgusting. But my, my point being is that you, it's, it's very challenging. It's very challenging to, to f try to figure out, but there's a light of hope, and I think we are a part of that process in that we do have to be in the future more brave than what we probably have been in regards to knowing how to organize yourself in the conversation more effectively as opposed to saying no that's definitely not right or you know you should really reconsider your decisions based upon that process um, and I'll, maybe I'll just speak that for myself you know, on the back end and I think that's why it's really difficult based upon it. I do have a, a proposition as to how it all came to be though. You wanna talk about conspiracy theories, well here we go. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Trump made politics uh, a thing again. I think it raised a lot of eyebrows regardless of what people thought about the presidency and what happened. I think it really shook up an entire nation 
in terms of asking all the correct but very difficult questions in terms of what is our representatives? What is our leaders? Oh, interesting, politics do mean something today. Oh, interesting, that person can be the president? Like these kind of things, I really do think it shook a lot of leaves and a lot of branches from every day going forward. The whole only hope that I'm seeing inside is that like all those things, they do pass and things come around to be truths again. But I think Trump made it that particular way. And then you either uh, had a team. So you had a team based upon looking around to your point, right? Like, who am I on? Who am I talking to? What's this whole idea here? And then if you, if you don't understand how strong that team was, then you can't understand the issues that are proposed based upon the COVID decisions, vaccinations, et cetera. Because if you back up to 2013 and we were to poll people based upon what they thought about big pharma and vaccines, you would have a completely different perspective in terms of what big pharma's intentions are to make a shit ton of money for 10 people, basically, okay? So now all of a sudden today, why is it accepted, right? That, that even doctors, right? Like even uh, Fauci, Eric Topol, Collins called four of their peers hacks. He called four of their peers hacks to, for people who made that statement of like, Maybe there's different treatments. Maybe there's a specific, you know what I'm saying? So we got to back up and say, how did that come to be? And I do think it goes back to politics became important. Who's your guy? And then you're just like, well, what is my guy saying? And, you, and if you don't think that's powerful, you had a lot of people get behind that one particular message that you got to f- say F you basically to your individualism. And you got to think about how responsible you are to your other humans. Because that's the voice, that's the shit that came out of Joe Biden's mouth at the beginning of all of this shit. He said that, you know, fuck individualism. You need to think about how responsible you are to every other person. So do you see how you're not even then able to talk with others around the room and be like, should this, the decisions I should make? Because I'm seeing this research based upon 16-year-old young boys or the older or the deconditioned, et cetera. It's like, what am I to do? And then all you hear is your side. And if you don't think that your side is powerful, your side owns media, your side owes academia, your side owns sport, and your side owns medicine. Mm, interesting. So if your side only owns that, see what I'm saying? And you're in a room, a bunch of other, bunch of other adults trying to make a decisions on vaccinating your 13-year-old child who's a boy, right? Think of the pressures that are inside of that. And I do think it all bubbled up because politics became something and again, like we seem to forget, right? And last point on this. Being a Canadian coming into America, I found it actually alarming that there was actually long form conversations on how people were unforgiving and who were not willing to have conversations around Thanksgiving anymore based upon who they voted for, for president. I thought that was a real big slight on what America stood for, right? That just showed that there's something more than this concept of limited government, you know, the states, individual freedoms, etc. I saw that as like, you know, being amongst the dinner as something that is a poison. And I do believe it came out to be a really shitty crisscross period of this unfortunate thing happening, um, which we can get into how it came about, you know, ironically being on a particular side. Um, and there we have it. So now we have... Individuals like this want to speak up. 12 years ago, would be like, oh, doctor, you know, you found some research. This is fascinating. Thank you for contributing, right? 
And then I'm going to be like, geez, I'm going to recommend my kids talk to that doctor to get recommended health advice, right? But you see now it's like, I don't even know what to do. So I don't know how to answer your question on advocacy or advice. All I know is what I'm going to do. And we're going to strengthen this language and we're going to speak more bravely in the future going forward so people can recognize that this is a place where they can come to at least learn how to make those decisions based upon what's, you know, what's coming in front of you. Absolutely. Not to go lengthy on this at all, but just, uh, really you mean like I just did? I'm just going to add my little, my little two cents and then I'll, I'll stop. But, uh, really challenging for people that don't have a side also. Like I come from a more collectivist type society, more collectivist values. I see value in that and I also see value in individualism. And the idea that those two things can't like coexist to some degree is really gross to me, right? That we can't have respect for both sides. Uh, American politics is a, is a weird, weird thing, but I feel, uh, and it really doesn't matter, I can't vote here anyway, but I feel, you know, unseen by both sides because there's this idea that those two things can't coexist. And I do think they can, to a degree. Well, I'll put a bow on this. <laughs> Thanks for that update. <laughs> I'll put a bow on this. No, it's, a um, no, it's important. To, yeah, I'm going to keep coming. When I, saw you so when, I saw, when I saw you were going to cover it as a radar, um, uh, it is an example of what I mean about being brave. That's what I mean. Like, it, it's, it, it, and it's not coming with a machismo that says, no, we're going to, discuss all the difficult topics. No, people are going to actually see us struggle with our own opinions based upon these things. But all I'm saying is going forward, I'm glad you you did it, but going forward, we're going to be we're going to be role models, right? I mean, we know there's, you know, there's not a lot of good shit in regards to the system that we're in. So, what are we what are you going to do? Are you going to you going to black pill it or are you just going to you going to go for it? We're going to go for it. Love it. So thanks for bow, bow tying that. Yeah, Mahora. So this is my bow tie. Sorry. Uh, he, he ended with like, because it was, what, what the heck do we do next? And that's why I asked the question, because he doesn't really know. Um, so there's a couple of things that he laid out. He's just like, we need to stop all of this for a second. We need to take a breath. We need to look at the data and we need to like critically look at the data and be okay with just not doing anything. Because if we do look at the data, we might be digging ourselves a, a, a bit of a hole here, right? We might A bit of a hole? <laughs> yeah. Um, we might be digging ourselves a hole here. So stop everything. Let's look at the data. And let's implement low-cost, simple lifestyle changes for right now. Because that's the only thing that we know is going to make a difference for sure without an adverse effect. Yeah. There's that hope. The, that was the most challenging uh aspect for me during that time when there was so much pressure and urgency around making a choice uh, and mandates because the only thing I could think was like can't we just have patience like can't we pause and wait till we have data um, but that was the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around was on both sides you did feel a lot of urgency to make a choice but you see that that concept has always existed so that's my point there's something that happened in the air that all of a sudden, to bring that up as conversation, it was thwarted. Mm -hmm. So something happened, you know? Yeah. And I, th it's, I think, yeah, my, it's my opinion anyways. I think it's like, you know, what does what people on our side believe, right? And it created this othering of people in families, mm -hmm. you know? And that, that's, that's rough, and that's where you're going to end up. But, you know, just to bring some happiness to it, uh, Anthony Fauci is going to have to face the truth. You know, everyone thinks I have a, like a, 
an issue with that. No, he's a representative of this whole thing that we're talking about. And so to bring it square back and not vindictive ways to like people can get their, their due. But in our society, if you're going to do that, then you got to remember there's people watching and his time is going to come and it's coming pretty soon. I assume it's going to be in about six months exactly where he's going to have to sit and face to music and we'll, we'll, we'll find some more. So we'll add more to that story in regards to it. Cause when you said whole, that's exactly what I thought about yeah. is imagine you know, allowing that information to come out, right? Oosh. Oh, man. The reality, uh, before we pass it to Georgia, I'm sorry, Georgia, the reality is um, there's, there, should be, there should be a lot more people than, than Dr. Fauci that, that have to stand in front of that thing. I know he's the representative. He's like the champion on the whole thing. But there's a lot of individuals from both sides that played a really, really big part and, and pushing this thing uh, really, really quickly. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, as this stuff starts to come out, I guarantee we'll start to see people like, hiding. I, I had nothing to do with that. It's like, hiding. you were just bragging about that two mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that'll be interesting to see in yep. exactly six months. I'm setting my, uh, setting my clock for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Georgia. All right, I'm going to take it light, away with something. It's a little up. light of it. Honestly, I don't find it a light of oh, topic. We're, we're I really okay. don't. It's, we're, we're going. Uh, it's a heavy one for me. Toxic so, masculinity? But No, not <laughs> oh. toxic masculinity this week, but still in that like cultural realm, right? So fashion? I not fashion. <laughs> sort of. G- give me a second. Okay. I was perusing the lifestyle section of the City Morning Herald, and there was a little opinion piece uh, with the title, Confusing. Are you embracing aging at 50 if you still look 35? And this was a a piece in relation to a Vogue article that came out recently with Gwyneth Paltrow, which was celebrating her 50th birthday. Uh, She featured looking gorgeous, uh, naked, painted in gold, looking 35 and not 50. And throughout the interview, the uh, interviewer was really probing her, asking questions about aging and beauty standards and uh, what her routine looks like and what she believes women should and shouldn't do and how she feels about her body. And really the big takeaway, um, she, there were some nice ruminations in there uh, where she talked about the aging experience and how she's embracing it. And uh, the big like line that stood out and that they highlighted was that she's earning her wrinkles. She earned her wrinkles. Why is this confusing? Uh, Number one, a little confusing because Paltrow is the face of an injectables brand. Uh, She had had come out and say in this article that she's done Botox before, didn't like it, so, you know, each to their own. But at the end of the day, she does endorse injectables, uh, which I can't really, like, be on board with the idea that she's embracing her wrinkles, if that's the case. Uh, Her wellness brand, Goop, which uh, people have probably heard of as well, is known for promoting some like very controversial and unresearched products. It's called Goop? Goop. Have you not heard of Goop before? (laughs) No. All right. That doesn't sound very attractive. It should make sense. But one of the things they uh, they encouraged women to do was steam their vaginas, which uh, actually has really like bad issues from pH uh, imbalance perspective. So she got a lot of heat from that. Uh, There was the From their partners? I don't think she was specific around execution. You get it? Heat from the partners? I got it. Steaming, yeah. The second one was the jade egg, which you also put in your vagina. The what egg? The jade egg. So this egg that's made of jade. And the idea, um, they promoted that it helped with hormone regulation and regulating hormone cycles or menstrual cycles. And they actually had to pay out a civil lawsuit because uh, those claims were unsubstantiated. I almost Googled that, but I think it would have counted yeah, don't as do me that. looking at porno. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to do that. that. I'm not going to do that. So anyway, 
Um, she, she has a bit of a track record there, right? Also confusing uh, because the media is full of contradictions on what aging should look like. Uh, there are so many messages right now of women embracing their aging, women and men, but mostly women. But there's also this unrealistic bar that is set for what the aesthetics of aging looks like. And, the, uh, and at, re at the end of the day, this can only be achieved with like a myriad of age-defying, like, you know, unnatural, essentially, pr protocols and procedures. And a healthy budget. And a healthy budget. You've got to be rich to, uh, to look good at 50. I don't want to bash Gwyneth for her choices. Like, at the end of the day, um, her other women, like, if you want to take and do an anti-aging procedure, there is the argument if it's, of it's my choice and you can do what you want to do with your body. But number one, I'm not sure that it is because <laughs> that choice is based upon what we see in the media, what we see in our peers, and we are heavily influenced by how we see our self-worth being tied to image. Uh, and this notion that is pushed and is real that older women do become invisible and are often devalued because of the way that they are uh, just not beautiful by what society deems beautiful anymore. On a personal level, like I can sit here and say I'm not going to fall into that trap, you know, I'm not going to do that stuff, um, that's on me. But I actually don't think that's enough. Um, just choosing to reject it on an individual level for me does fall short because our expectations are undeniably shaped by what is around us, both in celebrity, but more importantly, in our peers. Uh, we live in Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> and if you go out in the Scottsdale Quarter or Fashion Square Mall, that is what you are going to be faced with. A bunch of women that are 50 that look 35. And, and not even that, but like young tweens and teens young who twins, are now The baby Botox tossed. thing is real. And like, each, again, each to their own, they could be amazing people. And I, I'm not judging their self-worth of how they look, but I don't like the fact that aging and what it looks like has become so distorted, again, especially for women. What I think we need is women in the media and in our communities who are calling BS on unrealistic beauty and aging standards and instead transforming this like anti-aging, anti-wrinkle messaging into resisting entropy, James, which is something that you have talked about for a really, really long time and is not tied to your, you know, crow, crow lines. What are they called? Crow's yeah. feet? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not the, I'm not the uh, target up, market for, <laughs> for skincare. But let's, let's pursue the vitality model. And to give Gwyneth Paltrow a little bit of credit, she does uh, definitely talk about the benefits of like healthy behaviors and things like that. And the goal of this vitality model and resisting entropy is not to look like you're 35 when you're 50. It's to be able to live a larger life. So... That's my radar piece. Yeah, that's a great radar because <laughs> it, it pulls really in a lot good. of uh, through lines from what we discussed before, right? Like perception of oneself uh, being away from that, uh, really what people perceive. Um, also, our definition of vitality, as you notice, we didn't mention anything around what that meant, right? We just said, no, it's physical expression, eating real food and learning, right? Nothing inside of that. We gave measurements or stuff. We did talk indirectly about the standards of physical expression, Right, something you could strive for and kind of go after. And we thought that would be the North Star that would get everyone what they're uh, what they're asking for. Um, I like I like the uh, angle though that you took based upon it um, because it's so easy to just say, like from my perspective, uh, with idol idol uh, idolatry, idolatry, basically treating humans as idols. You know, I think that's just so prominent today. Um, but it's very tough to land on. Well, who do you blame in that whole situation? Because it's so easy, you know, as you were saying, I was like, it's so easy to pick on her, right? Um, and it's so easy to just say, like, you know, who are we 
to now be okay that entertainers are telling us how to be civil or moral or how to, how to live our largest life, right? So it's not just them, right? Who's responsible for that, right? Who's listening to that? Who's consuming it? Who's basically saying, oh, I really do think that that's a good idea? So I think it's uh, more than just the question of, you know, trying to look 35 and the whole issues around trying to be young. I think it's the idolatry, um, if anyone wants to re- voice in with... I- idolatry. Idolatry, thank idolatry, you. Idolatry, yeah. Thank you. Um, idolatry, I think that's <coughs> really the the biggest issue that's at play for it. And I, and, and um, I think it's important, always, where like, where sits. do you draw the line of, like, what is self-care and, and maintenance and, uh, you know, not not resisting aging, but aging as gracefully as possible. It's something I think about all the time as a 40-year-old woman who does live in Scottsdale and who does care about the aesthetics and appearance and not necessarily like I I don't make choices from a self-worth perspective. I'm sure if you dig deeper, there's probably, we could probably make those arguments. But I also do believe in like putting my best foot forward. And um, so like openly, I am a, a Botoxer and I've had filler. And, uh, you know, I think about those things, but I, but it's not, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, Candace, I, I don't mean to laugh. I've never heard I am a Botox. Or, I mean, I, was, I don't know if it's, if it's yeah, saying, I'm just that. saying. Like it's that. trending. Anti-Botox, it's not I, trending. I, the I future. Support it. But, but I'm also not making those choices and like looking back at, at photos where maybe my Botox has worn off and I might have more expression lines and thinking this is an ugly version of me, you know, or it's not at that, it's not that, that level where it's deep. And I'm, uh, it's affecting my self-worth, but it is also something I think about on a regular basis. So it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I agree with you that there's that. a continuum of depth, but uh, I would argue the point on, you know, graceful and who, deci- who defines what graceful is, Yeah. right? So in, a, in, the, in the strictest, most reductionist sense, there's no such thing as fillers or Botox or cover. There's no such thing as that, mm-hmm. right? It, another thing that people seem to, and this is a bipartisan uh, point, uh, people seem to forget that everyone individually is, is trying to either uh, attract another individual to them, you know, at certain points of their lives, you know, whether that's one person or a lot of people, and they have either been told or they've been taught that this is the way you're supposed to present yourself in order to get to what you're calling this unification of the deepest form of relationship with another person or other people, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that you forget inside is that there's a short runway to the stuff that's called fillers and covers, et cetera. And you gotta remember, you've created the relationship based upon society's version of what you think you're supposed to be presented as. That's the largest thing that people will have to contend with, Mm -hmm. right? On that continuum. Right, so just think about the, the, yeah. the deep continuum, right? What's gonna happen in 20 years when that person now presents with as much work as possible, right, to that other person who fell in love with them for one of those things, call it trite as you weigh, but one of those things was that, and now all of a sudden this person doesn't see what was there. It's, it's deep, Right, it's deep, and I, I could go back even further because I have two young girls, so you can just imagine play that out. Um, birth control uh, changes those things up. It changes up uh, to make it as primal as possible. Your smell, your perception, how other people smell and perceive you, right? And you add other things to that. You know, cover. Um, you know, your society's telling you this is how you're supposed to be perceived all to live in a society in which you deep down know that's not you, 
I got some I got some areas of discretion in regards to what graceful means for that, right? So we we probably just hold a different definition of it. Um, I don't know that I've defined it 100% yet. Well, I think by you saying it, you're on your way. And I, when you say it, when you say what you say, though, just not that it matters, you know, my judgment. I mean, who gives a shit what I think? But um, I do think you mean it, you know, if it means anything. I do think you're on a journey of that discovery of what that means. But I also wanted to make the point about the deepest form of relationship uh, because there's a lot of people that think that that is how things are formed. And I just know on the back end, it's not happy. Yeah. It's not happy. I've dealt with, I've dealt with numerous relationships uh, that were like that as a, as a coach and having people come through and, and you can just see it at play. And then as I grew older, I was like, oh, geez, you know, I didn't notice that that was, uh, that was it. So yeah, it's, in, it's Anyways, interesting so. to think about, um, Sorry, I have this. I've had this picture of Gwyneth Paltrow looking very <laughs> sad with gold all over her body, <laughs> covering her nipples. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I don't want to do this. Um, but it's interesting to think about uh, when does it turn into anti-vitality? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that we've had this conversation before, um, not relating to this, but um, you know, is someone doing things? Are they taking action as a shortcut? Are they doing those things as like a hack way to get there because they don't want to do the things that fall inside of the vitality model that would get them there eventually? And I'm not even talking about just aesthetics, um, but it does fall mostly on aesthetics. And we see that where it's like, you know, someone has this conundrum uh, in their heads where they're just like, yeah, I can, you know, do physical expression every day. I could do it for six months. Um, I'd love to lose 10 pounds. It's like it's like right in my umbilical for the last six months and it's bothering me. Do I want to go forward and uh, with this physical expression thing and like really eat real food and take care of myself? Or do I want to go to my doctor and just have them suck all that fat out of me? And it could be done right now. So if we're going that way, it's like that's anti-vitality. Yeah, are you saying that there's a lot of people who do fitness because of their self-perception and their own thing? No, I'm Because I'm not connecting. No, no, I'm no. I'm not no. connecting the, the, uh, the you know, the, how they look inside the vitality model. And I'll, I'll have to back up if that's what we, or I spoke about that people like pulled that out. Is that what you pulled out or? No, no. I'm talking about, um, shortcuts, right? Yeah. Uh, Shortcuts are not inside of vitality. So it's period. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So so, so patience, consistency and not sexy, right? If you, if you, if you can sell anything inside of what you're selling for vitality, Mm -hmm. it's not inside of vitality. If you can get anything done in there in six weeks, it's not vitality. So that's, that pretty much is very easy to find. And for people who are on that note in terms of, again, connecting to the mating and relationships and unification stuff that I talk about, you want people falling in love with you for your effort and your character. And if you don't, if you don't want people falling in love with you for that particular thing, then I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have some hard times. Yeah. Over time, you're going to have some hard times. And so, um, you know, and not to sound like, you know, uh, the, the, what's the cliche statement? There's someone out there for you, but we do need a lot of people out there that want to show off that they're working really hard and they're trying to work on themselves. And that is attractive to a ton of people. Yeah. Just to be clear, I said anti. Yeah. And that wasn't a retort to your point, but the, the, uh, yeah, there's no, yeah. So just we're clear on that. There's no, There's no hacks in vitality. There's not. I mean, to wrap that one up, I, I come from it as through the lens of a woman who doesn't even have a mani-pedi. You know, like <laughs> I what's that manicure, pedicure schedule? Pedicure, yeah, okay. I don't. I don't even do that stuff. And honestly, one of the largest reasons I don't do that stuff is it's it's the feminist in me, right? I'm like, if if my husband doesn't have to spend money on that stuff, I'm not going to. <laughs> and beauty for women is 
expensive, right? I don't want to put money into it. I just don't want to have to do that. So that's number one. And then number two is I think about, you know, if I were to have a daughter growing up, what would I want her to see in her mother uh, as her mother ages? What would I want her to think is, as you said, James, like the right attributes to try and put out there to attract a mate, uh, to, you know, be a human operating in this world. And it's not, it's not what Gwyneth's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I wish Janice would say, I don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on a haircut because my husband doesn't have to spend hundreds of dollars. I go, <laughs> no, Carl, this is how, this is how bad just, I am. I go to the barbershop. I don't you even go to the hairdresser. Hair. I thought that argument. was the most brave thing I ever heard you say. <laughs> I go to a barber. I, I'm paying the same amount he pays to get his haircut, probably less because I do it uh, less often than he does. But I'm just. I want more of these anecdotes. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think your uh, bent, your feminism bent is that I think, uh, and I, I shouldn't be making an opinion on what you, what you say, that's where it comes from, but I think it just, it's nonsensical. Yeah. I don't think it makes sense. To me, to go and do those well, things, yeah, you mean? Yeah, to, to, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, your first point is, I think it's the feminist in me that wants these particular things based upon it. Yeah. And I think it's not, probably not that alone. It's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, I'm not, yeah. Sorry, it didn't come off that way. I was just saying it to say it. Sure. It doesn't mean that it's, it means that to no, you. No, it's, it's right? irrational but in my brain. Okay, to go and do those okay. things to me would, would, just, would be irrational. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. great. Okay, so that's what I was connecting to. Because I think a lot of people just were like, well, doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, and so much of it's how but, you were, how you grew up. I mean, I grew up in a household that was like, uh, I mean, at 10 or 12, like, oh, you're going to go out the house without mascara? I mm-hmm. think we should uh, put a little bit more effort into your presentation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and I've navigated through a lot of those challenges where I can actually leave and, and interact in life without wearing makeup today. But growing up, that was not something that I did ever. And probably until we went through the whole COVID experience and lockdown was, and working from home more was really what pushed me to just be like, you know what, I'm just going to embrace this and try it and feel fine. But I mean, I was, you know, in my late thirties during that. Yeah. It's crazy that the, it is brave, but it is like when you think about like that word brave being applied to the decision to use makeup or not use makeup, it's crazy. It really is. And that's not you. Like that's nothing on you on a personal note. That's society, like the society that we live in. It shows the power of that social contagion. I see so many, uh, actually I shouldn't see so many 13 year old butt clefts. Um, (laughs) I shouldn't see. I have, I have, I don't know, 30, 40 per week in my house. Um, and it's, uh, my whole point being is that, you know, you, it's very easy to say, oh, well, my daughter's not going to do that or, you know, but it, there's, it's, it's just such a powerful contagion mm-hmm. that it's really tough to, to rewire that one out. Um, cause as my point we always make is I, I talk about percentages, right? It's, it's like two to 3%. That's the reality, that two to three percent, regardless, there's argument on what is rational for that point and et cetera, but it's a very, very small percentage that actually like holds steady on, you know, well, these are the things I want you to know about what you're, why you're doing what you're doing and how you're presenting yourself, right? Even that conversation is two to three percent. It's very low. Yeah. Want to learn more about the Live a Larger Life show? Visit livealargerlifeshow.com to learn more about our mission, meet our hosts, browse past episodes, and more. All right, we are going to roll right into rapid fire Q&A. So we have to challenge ourselves to be rapid. Yeah, this is, by the things. way, this is the episode today. This is it. Yeah. Right Q&A. Yep. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, uh, we did. 
at the front end? Yeah. We said today's the Q&A so episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. geez. Okay. It's so long now. Right now, faces. <laughs> yeah, geez. Okay. All right. Let's jump into it. So question number one, what do you think about introducing performance at an early age? So this is around sport, introducing sport and performance at an early age. What do we think about? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Oh, I, I won't be as deep as you guys because you've spent so much well, you time. you can't be. I can't be. I don't have that level of exposure. No, you I, don't have the time. We don't have the time. We, <laughs> we only don't got have 30 time, seconds. But I also don't have that level of exposure. <laughs> I would say uh, introducing sport was a very positive personal experience for me at a young age. I'd learned to develop uh, responsibility and discipline and, and some of those softer skills that have propelled, propelled me well in life. It's also made fitness a big part of my life. So personally, I would say it's positive when done in the right way. Cool. Yeah. I also think uh, there's some positives and there's negatives. Um, intentions matter just like everything um just thinking back to like this idea um around the the intention of sport and the original intention of sport uh we got to a place we're at a place right now where we use sport to be the thing that we do for physical activity um, i don't think it's a positive thing if we're teaching kids that the only way that they can be physically active is if they play a sport because when they stop playing that sport, they will no longer become or they will no longer be physically active. So there's some positives there um, as long as the intentions are correct. I think sport is a great opportunity for people to learn teamwork, for people to learn how to be reserved or to, you know, kind of handle their aggression uh, in, a, in a way that's keeping others in mind. Uh, you, you learn a lot of strategy in sport. Um, and there's a lot of connection to other human beings in sport as well. And, you know, you being competitive and, and uh, having that competitive drive to a certain extent is very beneficial for kids. So I, I, I like it as long as uh, the parent uh, is really clear on the intentions around, around playing a sport. I'm going to say no. Um, it's, uh, it shouldn't be done for kids. Uh, I think it's currently an option, and that's what it makes it look like, you know, just because everyone's doing it should be done. Um, there's no halvesies in vitality because, and because uh, sport doesn't connect to vitality. There's no part to play whatsoever in regards to it, no matter how much you've learned as character. Um, and I think we seem to keep forgetting that there's a low number of intelligent parents out there who are basically uh, involved inside of this because we just say these things easy, like, well, if your intentions are okay, um, but the intentions come from their parents. And so if you take my point that there's 98% of all parents out there with kids who are participating in sports that are low in regards to fitness intelligence, then you have a kid who has never been told for their 18 years that they're just out there running around. So I think the concept hashtag you are not an athlete needs to apply a whole lot more to young people because um, you're not, you're Hannah, you're not an athlete. I'll just add that uh, I think there's value in learning to win and lose uh, and be good and gracious with both of those things. But that, as you guys have already said, having sport, having performance, being the way that we teach movement and vitality is wrong. Love it. Um, I will end it, even though I already said something, but I will end it with uh, um, just around that you idea. You did say too much, by the way. You were definitely over. Yeah, no, it's, okay. it's okay, though, because if there's something that I really have to get off my chest, I just have to get it off my chest. Um, Timer. If, if, uh, if the idea, because we, we did say the thing on intentions, um, and something that like I just repeat over and over and over in my home is just like, is this going to build character? Is this going to build your character in a positive way? And that's to, that's to do with school. That's to do with sport. That's to do with relationships, whatever. It's like, if we, if we tell our kids that, and I'm not saying every parent should do this, but in my opinion, if we look at character 
um, increases in, in character being the, the outcome that you're looking for. Grades don't matter. Winning and losing in sport doesn't matter. Um, you know, how many relationship a kid has doesn't really matter. Um, are they building character? I think if, if we're looking at that as like the single outcome, which, you know, sport can play or not play a part of that. But if, if character is built, I think that's always a positive thing for young people. Um, second question. No, you can't go on. Oh, you, you said you're going to have the last say, <laughs> or maybe we can move it to another episode. Sorry, I had to do it. Um, I think character is nothing with a broken body at 18 years of age. And that's a reality in terms of physical sacrifice that goes on in a tremendous amount of young people uh, going through sport. Uh, we seem to, we just seem to jump over that to think that kids are going to, you know, have conversations around the supper table around intentions. Listen, man, I'm with you on character. I know I, I lived it as well, and I know you do bleed it for your kids as well. But at the end of the day, um, I, I really do think that there's just not enough uh, adults out there who are not inside the entire system uh, for some, you know, probably unconscious, nefarious uh, intentions that end up uh, beating up a lot of young people, basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Mm. Uh, question number two. Would like to hear James's. James's thoughts on new language for the OPEX BLGs. Yeah, and sorry if I mentioned him, but Rennell, he should be mentioned. Yeah, definitely. He has a big part to play in our uh, what we do. Uh, but I think, Rennell, what I was uh, discussing there was trying to create a the more simple, reduced language so everyone can get on board. So, Rennell, you probably have heard this numerous times, but I'll repeat it. Uh, BLGs, we want to break it down into the basics, right, to be super reductionist. And then after that, you want to say, well, there's more than just the basics. And so that's why we come up with terminology now that we're co we'll cover BLGs. And that is, you know, move every day, eat real food, and learn and adapt. And, um, and with, with that, Rennell, those things will play out if people practice that daily. So that's what I was getting at, I think, for the language. No one else can speak to that because we weren't asked. That was just a question oh, for James. Oh, yeah, that was James's. All right, question number three. What's the best way to start uh, without getting hurt after 35 years of age? I'm, I'm guessing uh, just start in this, this uh, physicality, Yeah, you vitality. got no training age probably, perhaps, Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, thoughts? I think uh, it starts with acknowledging how resilient we are as humans. I think most people are very scared of getting hurt, uh, scared of moving, feel that they're more fragile and uh, capable uh, are going to get injured and I think that asking that question is the wrong way to start uh, asking what do I have to gain through this experience and how is it going to make me more resilient less in pain less likely to get hurt is the right way to begin so I know that's not helpful but maybe it is yeah I would add that was, that was yeah that was really good um, I would add that we're actually going against our biology by not have already starting right now and i think that's kind of similar to what you just said where it's just like we're very resilient we're meant to do the things that we're proposing so if you're not doing those things you're actually meant to do them so if there's something in front of us that's saying like maybe i don't do this because i might get hurt because i'm over 35 i'm, I'm over 35 um yeah i think we're to, to your point we're asking the wrong question um so you should be doing it i don't have anything bad um, where in the hell does hurt come from? That's what I would, that would be the consultation on that. Like, you know, how do people get hurt in exercise? Like, and stick with that for a while. Like, where did that come from? It's a whole other rabbit hole. But uh, I wrote down here something to say to him. Uh, the first steps are the first steps. And success is measured in thousands of tries, not band-aids. So that's what they need to do. 
they just shut up and get started. And then after they've done it a thousand times with a thousand efforts, then you'll start to see that the truth is right in front of you and you can just keep going. And not at one time did you need a Band-Aid. Yeah. I mean, we say it all the time, right? But start with what you're capable with. Uh, don't play the comparison game and look at what other people are doing for exercise and think that's exactly what you need to be doing. Uh, start with what feels good for you today, what you feel like you can move through without getting hurt and build from there. Yeah. Yeah. How sad is that, right? That the, not directly for the question, but that that's still inside the system. Remember I talked about all the cogs that get in front of people just getting going? Man, like how sad is that? That people are afraid to be free movers and free thinkers because they're going to get hurt. Think about that. I don't know who wrote this question, but I think, uh, I think, you know, if we were to get into their brains, they're prob- they probably have a different idea of what getting started means. For sure. But um, that idea came from somewhere. It's, it's out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, but th- they could be thinking about one person or one client, but that also could be millions of people. Right? Just think about that. I just find it. It's too bad. Yeah, I think I think they might be thinking something like, uh, how do I get this barbell from the floor to my front rack to overhead and do it over and over and over and then jump on this box today without getting hurt if I don't have any if I don't have any experience there. Um and like Do you think a client is thinking that? Uh the person asking this question. The, oh the client. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not then sure. Then that, who may, this that may bleed is. into the other question you're gonna have around uh Vitality. I think, the vi- or I think uh, there was teaching. a coaching. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. All right, let's move to that one because I think this is there's some good connections there. Uh, next question: How can a coach teach their clients the vitality model? They need to be autonomous. They need to write their own programs. They need they need to do it for thousands and thousands of tries and efforts. Uh, they need to observe their own actions day to day. They need to say things like, "Are all my actions really what about what I pay heed to and what I say is true?" Right? Do you eat real food? Do you eat real food all the time? Do you go and source and try to do that? Do you prepare your food? Right? Um, do you follow that protocol of like designing your own program and what we discuss as patterns and paces? Do you read? Do you have an open opinion? Do you ask larger questions? Do you see three different sides right, to something? Um, I think when a coach can do that, you're well on your way to it. So autonomous is the one word. Yeah. I would just add, yes, I agree with all that. But the coach, because um, we are, this is a question from a coach, the coach needs to teach them those things, right? The, the yeah, coach but the first step is the coach needs to be autonomous. So that was my simple answer. Yeah. You can't teach it if you're not autonomous. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you don't truly yeah. believe. Discussion, right? Take <laughs> the mean, time to talk to people. Yeah. I think, and we'll have more information coming out on, on the model and how to communicate it simply so that the coach feels armed with the right information. Indeed. Yeah, but let's 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 put our thumb down, right? Or, or I'll say I will put my thumb down, right? Don't teach what you don't believe in. Yeah, if you don't believe in it, you're gonna you're gonna fall prey to what you may have fallen prey to for before. So if you don't believe in it and you can't see your own dependencies, then you can talk about it or write about it, but don't teach it other people. They'll clients sniff that shit out. Like, yeah, dude, like you. You know, this is what will be going on in the back of their head, right? Yeah, so it's just like uh, know it, do it, teach it, know it, do it, teach it, know it, do it, teach it, right? So, um, you know, after the first know it, do it, teach it, you're now, you're now away from the coach. And then now the person's knowing it and doing it and teaching it, and then it could just go on from there. Um, you know, reading that, you, you took a step back from where my head was. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, yeah, the coach is 
the coach knows it and the coach does it. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a good qualifier to, to have there. So know yep. it, do it, teach it. Uh, next question. This one's kind of repetitive. Um, so let's, we'll be tight on this one. <laughs> Where does sport fit into someone's exercise program? Sport doesn't fit into the vitality model. The question of where does it fit in someone's exercise program though, if that exercise program is not the vitality model, I think it can sit so long as someone understands the positives and the negatives coming from it, right? If you understand what you may be sacrificing and you are comfortable with those sacrifices, it can sit there. It's not a judgment of right or wrong, but it's it also can sit not vitality. In the program. It can sit yeah, in the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you gotta acknowledge what, what the, you know, downsides are. Yeah. My hip hurts today because I, you know, threw myself around on the mat yesterday. But Tell I know the truth, why. Georgia. You, you crushed someone's skull with your thighs. Exactly. And your hip I, went I out of place. I think I got a good triangle last night, actually. Triangle, yeah. sorry. That sounds so much better. <laughs> I'd like the picture of a watermelon <laughs> in between someone's thighs. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it depends on what the sport is um, because it's uh, it says exercise program. So most sports don't fit inside of an exercise program. They can go alongside of an exercise program. Um, so most sports, if they're done for recreation, it's a hobby that's next to the exercise program. I, I don't see it as inside of the exercise program. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add there. Yeah, I don't. Good. As an as an adult, if uh, as an adult, you know, who's probably and I'll just for classification, just because it'll you know trigger some people. If you're over 45, 50 years of age, I think at that point in time, I'm going to make an assumption that a huge amount of adults will have the wherewithal to be like, how is this connecting to me doing this for the rest of my life? Because that's the qualification, right? And that's why sport, even with your comment of sport, you know, when it gets blurred lines, like what is the sport? I don't even like to enter into there because then you're like, well, F1 racing is, yeah, but he just got killed. It's like, uh, what's the sport, you know? So the, the blurred lines. I'm more thinking about golf. <laughs> yeah. Being here. Yeah, well, being here. Like, you know, don't get me started on the embedded <laughs> shitty behaviors that come with golf. Um, so, and that's not connected to vitality. So there would be a perfect example uh, to agree with everyone's point yeah. thus far. It's got to be based upon the the brain and the intentions of the person that's doing it. But still the qualifier is if you can do this forever, then it's probably inside the vitality model. Yeah. And you're not, you're not the person, if you're at 22, you're like, Oh, I'm going to do this forever. Get punched in the face, you know, three times a week. Uh, then maybe that's why I said you need to be 50 yeah. and you know, cause that's why there's not a ton of 50 year olds, you know, rushing to weightlifting gyms. Or, uh, you know, getting, you know, signing up for getting punched in the face three times a week really hard. It just doesn't happen at 50. Everyone finds a bike, yeah. right? So there's, there's got to be some truth in that, walking in a bike and just lifting weights. Because it can be done forever. That, sorry, because it can be done forever. That's our qualifier. Yeah. Get to know our host and a sneak peek behind the scenes of the Live a Larger Life show when you follow us on Instagram at Live a Larger Life. We look forward to chatting with you there. All right, last one. What one practice will have the most impact on health if every American started doing it today? I have two different singular practices in mind. Two different singular practices. Like, I'm just interested to see yeah. what yeah. fits inside of that idea. Uh -huh. Okay, one would be minimize screen time because I can't avoid it in today's world. But if you minimize it, it'll force you to do other things mm -hmm. out, outside of that time, like deepen relationships be outside, go for a walk. So that would be one. And the other one would be wake up and drink water. Mm, that wasn't singular. 
No, I have two no, different, different singulars. Oh, I gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I thought you I, meant, I thought you were gonna say two things that fit inside yeah, no. of one idea. That's what I was like. I'm Gosh, more I'm... seriously dis with dystopic, you know, visions interested in the uh, the shutdown screen models of that first point. <laughs> right? <laughs> just think about how do you get people to do that without just us, you know, speaking the usual things about, oh, just decrease your screen time, you know. It's the lock I box. About, people have I know. like those lock box I thought, things. I know I always think about something further, like top mm. down mm. the whole thing. Everything you know, on plus. Not North Korea style, but like, you know, <laughs> cut, it, cut it to, <laughs> Yeah, cut it to the point where, you know, that gets really uncomfortable. Sorry, that's where my it's brain like, went. It's on like it, China you know? shutting shutting off TikTok at like eight PM, I think. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. no one has access uh-huh. to this yeah. thing at eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah. I, I well, like when it. you asked that question, I, like I, I like sat down last night and I was really thinking about it. And I'm just like, man, there's those two points of contention in my mind most people are experiencing. And I, I went with screen time first, but then I just thought about the amount of people who don't drink water or drink other forms of liquid throughout the day and don't get enough water. And like that is such a fundamental first step. Yeah. yeah and you make a, you, you, you indir- I don't know if you knew, but you, you d- indirectly make a really strong point of Again, this point that I make all the time, because mine was just going to be walking, right? And you always think about this idea, like what would be, <laughs> you took mine, yeah. It was my number uh, one. Okay. I have a number two there. Okay, super. But, you know, I, I really don't think, and I've talked about this on monologues before and here, I don't think that will fix it. So I'm really interested in what, what you know, tips people into doing things that over time makes them realize the power of that practice and how it helps them be healthier. Right. So that's why I really like the first concept of like, you know, although it sounds in in giggle terms authoritarian, you know, in regards to what you control for what people can do for their screen time. There is something like that in there that I think is going to be the true actual push to get a quote unquote Americans up and moving Um, and not to sound like, you know, negative on it. But if we just leave it up to Americans to make choices, (laughs) how do you think that's going to go? We see where we are right now, and nothing, nothing's going to change. So, um, I'll, I'm still going to say walking as being something. But then you got to say, you really think people are just going to like, oh, get so inspired to to well, walk around now and to move things and talk the big talk like I do? I'm like, oh, it's going to make them clear thinkers, and they're going to go walk for their food, and they're going to now start. Pre- That's not going to happen. Yeah, I think you have to go further with that one and say walking is going to be your only means of transportation, or maybe it's like walking yeah, you and see? cycling. Yeah, I love I love that because you're then starting to say, well, what co- what would cause the tip over effect, you know, to make that work? And uh, yeah, I we can't come up with anything that. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the tip over is, but like thinking about the positive follow ones from that you'd have people that are more engaged in their local communities uh, that are forced into working in their local communities because they can't commit commute two hours for work anymore uh, congratulations you just increased the unemployment rate <laughs> <laughs> no, I know this no, is not a practical suggestion she's got invested she's ha- she's invested in uh, zoom she's got money in stock in zoom. There we go, guys. <laughs> she knows there people we are go. not going to walk to work anyways <laughs> they're staying at home <laughs> no, but just imagine if we had like city infrastructure that was set up with like more of that local village style approach it's not how it how it exists anymore but people would be much better set up for healthier vital lives yeah for me it was the same uh it was walking but for a different reason uh i was thinking about what activity or what thing uh what single practice can have impact across the most amount of things um and you know when when you said like screen time i'm like I'm thinking back to my thing and I'm like, well, if people walk more, right? So let's say walk more, it's like you have to walk for two hours every single day, figure it out. Um, if people are walking for two hours every single day, 
um, they're probably going to walk when they could have otherwise been behind a screen, right? So they may have less screen time. If someone can walk, they're getting in movement every single day. If someone can walk, maybe they're walking after meals, so it increases their, their ability to digest their food. It might if make them thirsty. Yeah, if someone's walking, they might be drinking yeah. more water. That's someone's, the route that I took is like, it'll be the tip over, but I kept going on that. There's no way people are going to yeah. huh. well, get in. This is like there's a genie in front yeah, of yeah. us. Yeah, I was trying to pull like, it back to like, what is the, what is the practice slash behavior change that could influence the most amount of positive new behaviors. Yeah. I, I really think it's walking. If people did it, I really think it's walking. Cause there's so many, like you think differently when you're out in nature and walking. Um, you can learn while you're walking with technology. You throw like AirPods in and, and listen to a book or listen to an interesting podcast. Listen to us talk about living a larger life. Um, there's a lot of things that you can accomplish from a health standpoint, just by walking out of your front door and just moving for an hour at a time. Great. Yeah. Um, we, we could talk all day about the positives. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I think it's only going to go in an opposite direction. Um, I think it's uh, innate for us to try to come up with shit to make it easier for us, whatever that is. And it's being thrown in front of us at an alarming rate every day. Um, and that's not going away because now there's people that make a shit ton of money on your a- adaptations. Um, adaptations to make shit easier, get food sent to your door, you know, electric cars, autonomous vehicles, bikes now that are fully fitted uh, for, you know, anyways, gosh, I got to be careful, get off on that. I get so heated in regards to e-bikes and and young kids flying around on these bikes going 40 miles an hour now, Uh, but they're allowed, you know why? Because they have pedals on them and they never use it. They use them basically like scooters. My whole point on that, like I have with pickleball, we are set up to make shit easier for us. So by saying things like walking, which I'm fully on board of and knowing all the positives of that, humans down the road are going to try to figure out how to make a pill that resumes, that gives you the, the, the feeling of walking. We already have it with memetics and biotech and all the money that's going into that. So it looks pretty, uh, looks pretty bad. Although the point that I want to give a little bit of something there to, to Carl <laughs> is, no, the point on the future of learning uh, if it's going to be connected to what we believe in, in nature and physical natural laws is going to be more audio than it is visual. So that's something to think about with regards to how we push things forward and how we, because we want people listening to us or listening to a message or trying to learn as they're participating in their physical expression, right? Because the stuff that we discuss, you know, and what we believe in weights and walking long you can listen to things while you do both of those. But where can you not do that? A high-intense class, flying on a highway, on a bike, sport. doing a pissing match in a sport. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's tough to do that. So there's something in that that I think the audio component, we could say, like, listen to the soothing voice of James Fitzgerald as you walk for two hours in nature. <laughs> while I talk about eco-psychology and and uh homer's homer's classification of death yeah i knew you guys were going to say walking so i had walking as my number one but my number two was do we keep uh, that off like what what makes you think that it's the obvious one right and for the reasons that you guys have have already laid out and said but uh my my second one was learn to cook food for yourself and your family and have that food together Uh, i think if we learn to cook we have so much more awareness over what goes into our meals 
which the, people just don't have. Yeah, right no, now. this is the thing that I came up with as a, I don't know why I'm looking at you because I talked about it in my office, sorry, uh, about this, that uh, if you just, I just sat down one day and I said, okay, if I just wanted to play this out of my mind and have this back and forth between you had to make a decision, what comes first, mm. movement or food? Yeah. Right? I think that's a really, that could be a, a podcast because that's your, that's your point you just made there. And that's what we're talking about here, right? It's what's going what's gonna to do something that essentially will. And I'm being swayed because my answer in the room was that if people started preparing their own food and falling in love with that concept of the sourcing and the packaging and also giving it to other people around them, it's powerful. It's a good argument, right? It's, really it's a good powerful. argument. You want more clear thoughts. You want to think about things. You, you know, you want to make better decisions now that you have all this energy, right? I don't know. For the bigger discussion, but I'd, I'd, I'd go with movement still. Okay. Well, let's do it another time because yeah. some good things we can add to that. That's time, guys. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you're on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and join us in the comments below.